Are you thinking about buying a franchise? How about buying an existing business for sale? Unsure where to start? This is Patrick Fendaro, co-founder at Vetted Biz. To date, we've advised hundreds of clients to invest in a franchise or business for sale in the United States. We'll be sharing best practices as long as with our guests, top franchisors, attorneys, and accountants to help you find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for your you and your family's financial success. Stay tuned for this following podcast and follow our series if you're interested in learning more about exciting business opportunities and best practices to find, vet, and buy a business or franchise for sale. A little bit about how you entered in this arena and maybe spend five minutes or so talking about you know what keeps bringing you back to, to franchising and particular business services. And then I have other questions. Great. So I started uh, 1969. I was at the University of Buffalo and I took an H&R Block tax course. Loved it and started working part-time. And 12 years later, I was running 250 H&R Block offices. I was youngest regional director in the country. And my dad was a CFO of a public company. He decided that we should computerize taxes. And so he left his job as CFO of a public company. I left Block. And in 1981, we developed the first tax software for an Apple computer. It was way before its time. No one wanted it. Even H&R Block said, we're never going to computerize. People don't care. We've tried it. And it doesn't save us any money. We're never going to computerize. And so got lucky and found a business here in Virginia Beach called Mel Jackson Tax Service. Mel had died and uh, put a group together and bought Mel Jackson Tax Service. And then for a few years, ran both the software company and Mel Jackson. Then we merged them together, changed the name to Jackson Hewitt and went public. And 15 years later, we sold it for $483 million. I had a non-compete that that was three years in the United States, but Jackson Hewitt wasn't in Canada and still isn't. And uh, so I knew the Canadian tax system because I grew up in Buffalo. We opened Liberty Tax in Canada. And within three years, just as I had in the U.S., I grew one of the top 100 retail franchise chains in Canada. Came back to the United States after my non-compete ended three years later in 2000. And not only did we grow faster than H&R Block or, or Jackson Hewitt, we grew faster than both of them combined. So, and, and we opened in, in 12 years, we opened 4,000 locations. Uh, more than Block and Jackson Hewitt uh, did combined. So we were the we were the fastest growing ever, one of the top ten fastest growing franchise franchisors ever. Uh, what went public, it became worth about a half a billion dollars, just as I had done with Jackson Hewitt, um, and sold my shares uh, two and a half years ago, and now start, then started Loyalty Brands. Uh, Loyalty Brands has nine different brands, and we are um, on our way, adding about one a month to get to 50 brands. Incredible. So for those franchisees that have no locations or maybe one location, what are some of the keys for rapid growth? And, you know, you can make some money with one business services franchise, but you can really develop, you know, a mini empire getting up to five, ten, and you've done that you know, over the years, having so many locations across your brands, what are some of the key keys to getting growth uh, relatively fast? Well, the key to everything is, is uh, 
you hard work and uh, find find what you like to do, hard work and persevere. But um, delegation, I think, is is something one of the biggest diseases in in American management. And uh, you have to have the ability to delegate. The way I think of it is, many of our people, most most managers, are like Indian chiefs that they have this one tribe. Then there's the chief of chiefs that has that has uh, chiefs that are subordinate and has many different different tribes. So. Uh, most most people are incapable of going to that next level, and it's a, a matter of can you learn to delegate? Delegation is the key. Okay, so having trusted managers that are then managing other managers or managing other folks, and really not being a control freak around your your business. Yeah, being a control freak is uh, you know it's it's extremely dangerous being a perfectionist because. Um, people, the perfectionists I know, they, they're perfectionists about everything and even the smallest things. So if you talk about penny wise and pound foolish, the, per, the perfectionists will make the perfect penny. Meantime, the pounds are, are, uh, uh, running away from them. Well said. Um, so the, the service franchise industry is growing a lot and there's a lot of appeal, especially given the current pandemic, we're going asset light business, not so much to start up, um, less failure rate than food and beverage, for example, and some other industries in the franchising space. Uh, could you give us a little overview and what keeps drawing you back to business services and potentially tax in, in, in particular? You know, when um, I'll, if, I'll start with tax and say that when I was in college, it fit all, it fit everything that I was looking for. It was, um, it was um, mathematical, and that's my specialty. Is, um, in fact, I was in college to be a mathematician. It was, uh, and it was serving people that um, uh, it, you, I got more thank yous for uh, doing tax runs than virtually any part of my life because okay. it, people find it like visiting the dentist. They ooh, don't, you know, I hate, I mean, I really feel that most people that come into a tax office are like, they're, except if they get big refunds, they're thinking, oh, this is horrible. It's like going to the dentist. I don't know about you, but I think 90 some percent of people hate going to the dentist. So it's, it's um, a very gratifying, and, and my goal is to give, to give back and give more than I receive. And so it's so easy to do when you're in a service industry. And why, why don't, why isn't it not just better to grow through corporate locations and why, why grow through franchising? You know, that was the uh, second biggest mistake I ever made when I left Block and started Jackson Hewitt. After one season, uh, we bought six offices. First season, we had 11 stores. Second season, we had 15. Third, third season, we had 22. Well, that's not bad to, to double in in three years that's not horrible but meantime block had nine thousand offices nine thousand offices nine thousand and i realized that at this rate of growth i would be about 400 years old before we got to block side <laughs> and so we said well how can we do this even better and much of what i've done is copied h and r block 95 percent of what what i've used in my career is something that i learned from by watching H&R Block, it's, it's much simpler to follow a proven system than to invent your own industry like Fred Smith did at 
Federal Express. Sure. So, you know, basically you can grow a lot faster, have economies of scale, and not just, you know, through the locations you operate, but also the franchisees. Actually, yes, the franchisees pay you to work for you. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're building up net worth, and, you know, I've created out of the 5,000 franchisees you referred to, 800 of them became millionaires. I was, I was going to ask you, like, I imagine yeah. it was in the hundreds. Yeah, they, That's pay incredible. Me, they pay me to work for me. Yeah. And how yeah, do you see, you mentioned, you mentioned a few um, brands, um, Jackson Hewitt, Liberty Tax Service, H&R Block, many of those, you know, you've been very, very involved with. What's the competitive landscape right now for, for, tax, for tax in general in the United States? Tax is interesting in a couple of ways. Number one is um, that the, th- the big three, or the big four, including ATAX, we're, we have less than a 20% market share. 80% huh. of this industry is dominated by mom and pop. And so there's a real opportunity to take market share from mom and pops. I, I think this is the way that, that explains it best. If um, Burger if Burger King gets next to McDonald's, McDonald's spends $30,000. They do a demographic study. Burger King doesn't spend anything. They get right next door to McDonald's. And when Burger King opens, McDonald's revenue doesn't go into the toilet. It continues to increase. You know, they're the one of the fastest growing brands, major brands over the last 10 years. So if Burger King isn't taking business from McDonald's, who are they taking business from? Mom and pops. And so I think it's, when you think of it as a novice, you say, well, how are we going to compete with H&R Block? Well, actually, wherever there's an H&R Block, there are eight times as many, six, seven, or eight times as many customers that are going to a mom and pop. So we're really taking 80% of our customers from mom and pops. We're not taking them from Block. So you're looking to differentiate against the mom and pops and H&R Block's there, but you're not as concerned with them. Exactly. If, okay, if you could, awesome. Patrick, if you could compete with with a uh, a competitor that does 11 million returns, or a competitor, or a bunch of mom and pops that do 80 million returns, who would you rather compete against? The 80 million, because that's that's a far bigger number, and we're gonna we grab the lion's share of our business from mom and pops. What's a profile of the the mom and pop? Is it someone that got a CPA, or what? What's the What's the profile of someone you're competing with? No, there's uh, no licensing requirement in 45 states. And so it's it's uh, the biggest, most logical, likely mom and pop is someone that worked at H&R Block. Okay. And that left and, you know, Brought they over have 100,000 preparers a year and they lose, they lose 20. I mean, they keep 80%, but that's 20,000. And some of them go out and compete with them. So, like myself, I was with Block for 12 years. Block has created most of their competition. Wow. And then how, so a prospective franchisee of say ATAX or Ledgers, do they need to have experience in accounting? What are you looking for in a, a franchisee that you might award a license to? You know, I, I think this scares people because when I say it, but, but it's, uh, it's the uh, whole truth and nothing but the truth. You don't need to be experienced in taxes to to own a tax franchise. You don't need to be experienced in accounting. Just like I made the mistake of buying a gourmet restaurant. Um, 
and I, I don't have the slightest idea how to cook. I, I, I never turned on my stove or the burners on top of my stove. So, uh, but you need, we teach you how to find taxpayers. We teach you how to find accounts. And we also have a system where you can send the work to us. You can offsite your work. So if you don't want to do the bookkeeping, if you don't want to do the tax, you can send it to us. So in all the industries we're in, whether it's dog grooming or elder care or uh, inspection, home sure. inspections or taxes, you can, we, you don't need, it's a marketing business and that's kind of a product or the result. So okay. your marketing business that does elder care, your marketing business that does, does grooming of dogs, your market service that does tax rent. It's so you don't, I would never discourage anyone from, from learning learning the industry and being backup and you know but your product better you're going to sell it better maybe uh you know not everyone that's not even true uh, that that i mean you would think that's true uh, but, not but you, you need to know the sizzle for sure right and and do you need to know how to cook this thing you need to know how to sell the sizzle okay and so we we're looking for people that are marketing people rather than doers and and if you're a doer those are the most likely people to make the mistake of not delegating. If you're a skilled tax preparer, you're too likely to sit in that chair where you could hire someone for 15 or $20 and no one's CEO of your business. We're looking for CEOs. What's, I know it's very seasonal, but like what's the employee structure look like at Ledger's, for example? Well, Ledger's, unlike ATAX, ATAX is a direct competitor uh, of H&R Block, lower income customers that 80% of the customers make under $60,000. And so it's, it's, it's almost exclusively just low end tax, tax returns. And so okay. pretty straightforward. Just like, just like at the other competitors, 80% of the people are only work during the tax season. And they lay, and, and they um, are laid off on April 15th and then come back the next January. Ledger's is a year-round business with, with accounting, and most of our income at Ledger's is accounting and consulting versus tax return. So our, our employees at Ledger's work tend to work year-round. Okay. And how long, how long, I guess, a couple of questions. How much does it cost to open up a Ledger's, like the minimum and maximum about yeah, on, on average, all of our franchises are in the in the low investment. We're, I mean, all nine of our brands are in. A, it costs about seventy thousand dollars. Okay, all, all and are people financing it through like an SBA loan, or is it just all cash to open up? You know, the the industry, the franchising industry has changed over the last uh, since since the Great Recession in two thousand eight. Sure. Where before then, people typically would finance it out of their uh, uh, the equity in their home. Oh, since then, they uh, convert their 401k or IRA okay. and use those funds. So the biggest investment, is, or more than 50% of people cash in their 401k. They don't need to cash it in because you can put the business into your... Into they your rolled over. Right. Interesting. And what, I mean, for someone that's looking to open up a, a franchise in your portfolio or say another franchise, like what should, how long should it take to break even from the time you have your first customer? Like what, what should be, a, what's like a realistic expectation? 
Well, there's there's three kinds of franchisees, and and it it all it all breaks down to how much you're going to listen and follow the system. I'm not looking for the person that's most experienced, most educated, most most intelligent. That 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 doesn't matter. What matters is my job as a franchisor is to give you a proven system of business, and I've been doing that for 50 years. Get you know, giving franchisees this is the yellow brick road. Get on the yellow brick road. And you would think that, Patrick, that everyone would do that. I mean, I've been doing this for 52 years. Most of our franchisees aren't even 35 years old. Hmm. And and they come in, and yet they know better. I don't know if you have children, but you've been a child at least. People don't, people don't uh, follow the system. And I brought in 5,000 franchisees in my career. Not one has followed the system. Not one has listened. <laughs> and it's not real complicated stuff. It's not difficult to understand. I mean, one of the things, for example, is uh, during the four busy weeks where we do two-thirds of our business, expand your hours by two hours a day. I mean, that's not hard to figure out, right? You don't have to yeah. be a rocket science, and yet half of our franchisees don't, won't do that. So uh, the, the key is how much you're going to follow the system. The people that listen like 98%, they're superstars. And, and if you grab my book, it says, I've created 800 millionaires. And... If you listen less than 90%, I've had a thousand franchisees lose their money. They lost their total investment. So I've had 800 millionaires and a thousand that, that lost everything. Most are in And how does it work? Because, like, you know, over the last six years at Visa Franchise Invented Biz, you know, we've had some clients that have had to either inject a lot more capital in the business or even close, which I see as like a business failure. Um, and it's generally due to location or not following the franchisor system, but the location issues are more for food and beverage concepts and other industries that you really need. It's like, you know, you're walking by and yeah, I'll stop for ice cream. So I imagine the tax, you don't have that issue as much. Why do, why do these thousand or less than a thousand, why are they closing doors or why aren't they making substantial money? Well, well let me talk about location that it's so simple for me versus Hey, someone inventing a new restaurant, right? Sure. If you invent a new restaurant concept, how do you know where to open it? Well, we're, we follow the Burger King model that McDonald's spends the $30,000, they find a location, Burger King just gets next door. They know, they know if McDonald's revenue is X, their revenue is going to be Y. And on the same token, there are 9,000 H&R block offs. Same as when I started competing with them in 1982. Okay. So if there's an H&R block there, and there's no ATAX, it's a vacancy. There's like a vacancy time, a sign, you know, flashing vacancy sign. So we don't have to worry about ever having a bad location. We know that we can grow to be bigger than that HR block. So we know, and, and the IRS gives us the numbers of, of, of uh, their volume. Yeah, so they're legally, as a tax preparer, it's all it's all publicly available in terms of how many cases, and then you can just go on their site to see what they charge for a tax return. Well, you can't you can't really do that, but okay. we get so much competitive information from customers, okay. right? We see we see their customers, and so we know we know what they're charging. They don't they don't advertise it. Although I, I shouldn't say that over the last three years, they've become much more transparent. So they will give the prices out up front. They'll post it on their walls. In in the old days, they didn't do that. But uh, yeah, we we know uh, what they charge, and we know how many how many tax returns that they're preparing in each office. So we know what our opportunity is. 
And what percent of the franchisees that you've brought on, say these 5,000 locations, like what percent of the individual franchisees became multi-unit operators where they had more than just one location? Well, let me say it this way, that if I look at my career at Block and Jackson Hewitt and Liberty and now ATAX, the average franchisee has seven locations. Wow. Okay. So almost about a third of them have just one. And the others will average average uh, 11 or 12. Okay. So with 11 or 12, you're looking at a pretty sizable workforce. And going back to your earlier point, you have to delegate. You can't be micromanaging. Exactly. You're going to have typically 7 to 10 employees per office. So okay. they'll, they'll get to about 100, 100 employees. Yeah. So there you are a CEO at that point. Oh, for sure. And that's why you can't be sitting at a desk doing tax returns. And do these franchisees, so I imagine the 800 or so millionaires you, you helped create, I imagine at some point they move on to other entrepreneurial ventures. Like, are most of these people, do they then put in a, a full-time CEO and they're a passive, they're a passive owner or are they, are they selling the business? Could you tell us a little bit about? Uh, yeah, most, I mean, if, if I think of the, just those 800, they mostly are, are um, they're go-getters, they're highly successful, they have a lot of money, and then they're bored from, from May to December. What else do I do? So they virtually all of them go and get other go into other industries. The beauty of it now is that that with loyalty brands, we have other industries for the, those them to go into. So we've had a number of them go into first choice business brokers. Yeah. We have uh, one of them just uh, uh, inked a deal last week to go into Zoom and Grooming and mobile dog grooming. So something else catches their attention. We've had Pilates. We've had kickboxing. We've had eyelashes. I mean, restaurants, they're, they're, you, you name it. You can about name it. I had dinner in uh, Raleigh two days ago with um, it's, a salt, it's a salt franchise where you, you blow salt air into a room. Huh. And uh, they they bought a salt franchise, so I I hadn't I'd only heard about that. They bought it about a year ago, so I okay. only heard about it that um, in the last year. But it's it's and I think the biggest salt franchisor in the country has like ten locations. So we're gonna bring on Rafael. I'm very excited. April 9th, I'm probably gonna do that conversation in Spanish. So we'll we'll also have it uh, translated into English later on, or do another one in, in English. Uh, first choice potentially too. Could you just tell us a little bit about ledgers and what other services they offer and on that ongoing basis outside of tax season? Yeah, I think that um, the, the reason that I like ledgers is that it's a middle income uh, accounting franchise. And, and if you think of name brands in accounting, I mean, the only national names are the big, the, the final four like Deloitte and, and KPMG. And uh, there's no, in and, and those, they typically deal with public companies and much larger, they, they turn away companies that have less revenue than 5 million or 10 million. So there's really no brand name in the space of zero to 5 million of revenue. Sure. And so there is a, a company in France called Fiducial that has 600 locations that goes after that Typically, I mean, when I say zero to five, it's mostly under two million of revenue. It's the mom and pop. 
Okay. And they have established in France brand name, uh, and they've gone worldwide with over 1,200 locations. They have. Are they in 30, the states? They have 30 in the United States. Okay. And headquartered in New Jersey, and it's called Fiducial. And if you transpose that and extrapolate from their 600 in the population of France, there could be 4,000 locations in U.S. that has a brand name. And so uh, we're after that. We're, we're after that industry, and and I'm excited about that for a couple of things. That appeal to me is is uh, number one. I don't have to compete against an H&R Block. I mean, it's it's tough to compete against a, a 800 pound gorilla with two sure. billion dollars in the bank, Fortune 500 company, and that's not. And I've done it successfully I've, in both of my companies, twice, yeah. Jackson Hewitt and Liberty. I've done it twice and grown faster than them, and now I'm growing faster than them in ATAX. But it's it's a, a struggle. If there's no brand name, it's a lot easier. If you're first sure. in market, it's a lot easier. So I like it for that reason, and also I like it for the reason that, in unlike income tax, it's only viable in three countries. H and R Block is only strong in three companies: Canada, U.S., and Australia. But in accounting, you can go worldwide. As I said, fiducial is in over sixty countries. So, so we'll what what, taking, what services are is it, you have bookkeeping? What what else? Yeah, what is primarily, offered? Primarily, most of the business is bookkeeping and advisory services. The uh, the the one thing that very few companies do, even even accountants, is they don't give you advice about the future. Sure. T- typically, what happens is you go and drop off your information, and they will then take it and. And they'll keep score. They'll they'll score it and give it back to you. Well, the there's a um, customers need advice for the future. Sure. And yeah. Tax planning and, and all different types. Exactly. So uh, the, those are the two big revenue sources. And of course, tax tax returns. We for every accounting customer, we get about eight tax returns. Okay, that's solid. And are there any markets in the United States that you're most excited to grow ledgers and some other brands in your portfolio? Yeah, you know, Patrick, what I learned a long time ago, I had a clever plan, I thought, when we started Jackson Hewitt, that we were in Virginia Beach and we grow to Richmond and then we go to Raleigh-Durham and then we go to D.C. and then we go to Charlotte and then Baltimore. So we would strategically, sort of like a, a, a battle plan during World War II, right? We'd, we'd plan, we planned it all out. And then I had people inquire from areas outside that, and we we um, let them become a franchisee. What I learned is, you can take a great franchisee, and they can be first the first the record setter for for Jackson Hill was in Monroe, Louisiana, oh, wow. in New Orleans or Baton Rouge or Monroe, Louisiana. That um, we opened a th- and did a thousand returns in Rapid City, South Dakota. <laughs> First time in the state, and the average back then was just three or four hundred returns. She did a thousand in Rapid City. No one had ever been in the state. You can take a great franchisee that follows the system, put them anywhere. If you have the greatest territory in the United States and put one of the people that won't listen in, then it's a horrible value. So it's more about people than geography. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so are there, I guess, what do you, how do you ensure that you don't bring in the wrong franchisees, um, that aren't going to follow your business model? Like, is there a process that you guys have in place on the recruitment side? Well, we've made mistakes, right? And because everyone tells me they're going to listen to me a hundred percent, right? No one leaves training and say, I'm not going to listen to that. 
So they're either fooling themselves or me or both. So it's hard to tell, but there is a process that um, they all meet me. They all, I lecture them continuously. You got to follow the system. And then they have to attend a, a training for a week training before they get final approval. So if at any point in that training, they're acting rebellious or I'm not going to do that, then we will, we will tell them go away. When a franchisee fails, they can only blame themselves or me. And they always blame me first. I don't need that. Right. So, uh, we, we try to weed them out because I, I don't need anyone telling me that I failed them because they don't follow the system. Well said. Um, and then franchisees. So for most of your brands, you have an item 19, those that aren't familiar, it's a disclosure of the financials. So, um, only three of our brands are two years old or more. Okay. All the others are only a few months. So most do not. And then, so for how, for someone that's trying to better understand the financials, is it best that they talk to the franchisees or how can, how can someone get comfortable um, with some of the brands, including ATAX and ledgers from a, a financial perspective? Absolutely. We put them in touch with the franchisees and uh, that's, that's an important part of, part of the, a discovery process is is talking to franchisees because it doesn't matter what we say it doesn't matter if, if we're happy it only matters if the franchisees are happy you know one, you of the find- things, one of the reasons i've been so successful as a franchise war is i believe that that um, in that we need happy successful franchisees most franchisors do not half of the franchisors in this country have less than 20 locations because they're just not they do not understand that it's not all about them. It's not about the franchisor. If you don't have happy, successful franchisees, you're going to die. For sure. And we see a lot of those smaller franchise systems are very concerned with like making a lot of their revenue from the franchise fee where larger systems, it's coming from royalties and interests are more aligned where, you know, you're getting yeah. franchisors getting paid if the franchisees do well. The franchisee has to make money and we have to make money or it's not going to work. Okay. And then how do you handle like innovation and, and strategy? Is it all done internal? Do you take some feedback from franchisees? How do you guys adapt product across those brands? We do one thing that I think is extremely rare that at our convention, we, which is uh, two and a half days for, for two days, most of those two days are made up of breaking into groups and tell us how to improve. Tell, yeah. us how to, tell us how to improve our advertising. Tell us how to improve our, our tax software. Tell us how to improve. I mean, just, and then we write every idea down. And then uh, we meet with some franchise representatives, the executives of the company, and decide we're either going to not change it, change it in the future, or change it not this year. And I'm happy to say that after doing this for 30 years, most of the time, more than half the time, we make the changes immediately. Because, okay. because I know big picture. They know what the pulse of their customers are and the tools they need to do a better job for their customers. And so we change. We're, we're the most uh, uh, innovative. Uh, and, and franchisees are far more innovative than corporate people, right? They're, um, every, virtually everything that, that McDonald's have, from the Big Mac to the milkshakes to the, the special coffees to the breakfast to, I mean, the, all of that was embedded by franchisees. 
So you need to. They're getting feedback daily from right. hundreds, thousands of customers. Exactly, I have millions and billions, right? I do one text during a year. I don't see the customers. I need people to listen. Even though I've been doing this 52 years, I need to listen to the people that deal with customers day in and day out. How do you see this market developing, um, specifically business services tax during COVID and then after COVID? Well, I'll take you back to COVID is a novelty that, that hasn't been in any of our lifetimes. But if I take you back to 2008 and 2009, the worst recession before COVID, yeah. uh, the, uh, during those two years, the Great Recession, Starbucks closed 650 stores. Liberty Tax was the fastest growing chain of any in the country. We opened 650 new stores. Number one wow. fastest growing chain. Because during so in 2008, 2009, you guys opened, you say you had net positive. 650 added offices. And because you don't need to buy a fancy cup of coffee during a recession, you don't need to, but you can't buy a car or a refrigerator or go on a vacation, but you have to file your taxes. Yes. So taxes is almost recession proof. Okay. Well said. And how, how have your franchisees done during this, this, um, this pandemic? Have they about same, same, about the same in terms of sales, same store? Has it gone up? Last year, the, our offices were closed starting in, in March okay. in, in most, most of the country, we could not open. So we had, uh, we ended up doing a lot of it. We have, we have app that you can do it online, send us the information and do it. So we had a, a, a slight decrease in, in uh, 2021 this year, we're headed for a, a nice increase because all of our offices are open. And so I could see how ledgers is, you know, really well set up in the future being like the trusted advisor of these small businesses. Um, but for the tax prep side, I mean, there's a lot of technology players that you can do different things online. How do you guys see competing with that? And how do you see the, the future dynamic? Yeah, a lot of people think that that online filing is going to put the taxpayers out of business and the accountants out of business. But um, over the last, from 2005 until until last year, the the percentage of people that pay to prepare was about flat. It actually, oh, okay. in, in, in 16 years, it went from 60% paying a prepare down to 58%. And based on the fact that the number of people that, that uh, file a tax return every year goes up by a couple percent, actually every year, on average, more people are paying a prepare. Okay. And, and you know, people think that the young people are, if you haven't been in the industry, you, you, it seems logical. The young people, they know computers, they do everything on their, their phone. They're going to be, they're going to do their own tax return. Well, what we've learned over the last, um, since the internet over the last 30 years is that they do games on their phone and TikTok and Facebook and uh, you know, Twitter. And so they're not doing work on their phone. They're playing games on their phone. So the same percentage of 18 year olds come and pay a prepare today as, as 20 years ago or 30 years ago. Wow. Okay. And you, so, I mean, the technology has been there for like what the last 15 to 20 years and you don't see that changing much. Why would someone uh, why would someone want to file online instead of meeting with what what's like the 
what, what whether, the, whether they tell folks yeah. and why they should go to an a tax or a ledgers to do the tax. Well, there's several reasons. There there's several reasons, right? Number one is people are afraid of the IRS. You know, I've I've had tens of thousands of people say to me, John, I'm afraid of the IRS. And we have customers that have done their own return, bring it in for us to do it and sign because they're afraid okay. of the IRS. So one is fear. And I say, thank you. The IRS is about the scariest organization in the country. In fact, no human beings ever told me they were afraid of the FBI or CIA. <laughs> but tens of thousands have told me I'm afraid of the IRS. So one is fear of the IRS. Then there's change, right? You get married, you get divorced, you have a child. Your child goes into the military, you have a capital gain, you buy a home, and that changes your tax situation. And so change drives drives people to impair. So it's fear of the IRS and change and a general change in society. You, you've said a couple of times about service businesses. You know, there was no such thing as back when I was starting in taxes, Molly made or, you know, now there's. There's 20 different franchisor and maid services. There's pool cleaning franchises. There's mosquito yard franchises. There's landscaping franchises. We service industries have, is the only part of the, uh, virtually the only part of our economy that's grown over the last yeah. 25 years. Manufacturing, other things. agricultural, so, it's a lot less percentage. Right. And, that, and, and when I was a kid, I, I'm, I'm, you're young, how many times when you were in high school did you eat out each week? I would eat out probably two at least two nights a week. Yeah. Well, when I was a child, uh, we didn't eat out more than twice a year. Wow. Yeah. So it was a luxury, even, right? even, I mean, there was no such thing as McDonald's. I was in college before I saw the first McDonald's. Wow. And back then they would, they had signs, Patrick, that said, oh, we sold 830,000 burgers, right? Now it's 800 billion burgers, maybe, but it was so our, our, as a society, we want more and more services. So that drives people to prepare. I'm, I'm don't have time to do it in, there used to be a 1040 easy and they, they don't have that now. And, and it ended about three years ago, but in the, 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 the form was one page and you had to be single. You had to not have moved. And it said in the, there was 27 pages of instruction. And it said in the instructions, it's going to take the average person two hours to do this return. And the beauty of our industry is that it changes every year. In 52 years, it's changed every year. And massive changes for uh, last year with COVID, and the Democrats are going to change it again. So whenever there's change, there's opportunities. That, that elevates we'll, we'll you guys as a trusted advisor. Exactly. Well said. So you've, you've alluded, you know, kind of the more the the past 20 30 years what do you see how do you see future changes for the next 10 20 years in the service industry and and the needs to you know provide it provide an offering for that we're going to have more services for sure i mean i love our our i love our elder care business you know still for the night uh 10,000 people a day are turning 65 that's just a growing growing industry I love our Hispanic businesses that um, they're going to they're going to grow by they've been growing by six or seven percent. The Hispanic population and the Hispanic uh, purchasing gross national product. Right. Gross national product. If you took the Hispanic spending out in this country, it's, it would be the eighth largest country in the world. 
in wow. terms of Hispanic, and it's bigger than any other any other country for Spanish speaking individuals. So I love I love we look for industries where there's going to be growth, and there's going to be growth in in senior care. There's growth in pandemic pandemic. You know, it's horrible, but it's it helped us in some ways. For example, uh, more people bought pets. So about eight percent more people bought a, a dog during the their, when they were at home with with because of COVID, and so the grooming business is, is expanding. I mean, we don't have one of our location not one of our locations has less than a one month wait to get on a waiting list to get the dog groom. It's wild. So that business is growing. Elder care is growing. Hispanic business is growing, and that's what we're looking for industries where uh, that that are hot. Yeah, and you can and you can ride the wave. Exactly. And, well said. And 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 for eight years, next eight years, uh, ten thousand people a day are going to turn sixty-five, and then they're going to turn seventy, and and most of them will make it to seventy and seventy-five. It, and when you so, look at the franchises in terms of like investment amount compared to sales, you have you know food and beverage where you invest. 100 say 200k the, the sales are averaging only 200k but senior care should be three four or five x you know what the what the invested capital is in terms of sales are oh, our, our people that buy my out of the five thousand people that bought franchise from me they're looking for at least double digit return i mean right 10x or 20x yeah yeah it's definitely impossible it's it seems like it's much faster Return on return on investment with a lot of these service industry brands compared to food and beverage and some other industries. Yeah, in if, if you if you buy a Dunkin' Donuts, you have to buy a minimum of three. It's like a two and a half million dollar investment. You buy a McDonald's, you have to buy multiple. It's like a five million dollar investment. Exactly. This most of our brands are all of the brands so far are sixty or seventy thousand dollars. So I like these brands because. I'm into changing people's lives. That that drives me. That's the reason I continue to work. And it's if if you're investing three million dollars to buy Dunkin' Donuts, you're already a millionaire, multi-millionaire. Yeah. Right. But with how is how are you as John really going to help them and change exactly, their life? So exactly. Much. It's not exciting to change someone that has ten million to twelve million. <laughs> That's not exciting. But if I can take someone with that has a net worth of a hundred thousand and make them a millionaire. That's life changing, and so oh, yeah. I've changed. I've changed thousands of people's lives. Yeah, I imagine the thanks you get from a tax return is is uh, a little different than the thanks you get when you when you turn someone a billion millionaire. Yeah, it's a little bit more enthusiastic. <laughs> cool, John. Well, do you have any concluding thoughts? I really appreciated having you on. It was wonderful. It was a wonderful uh, forty five minutes, or how long ever long we've been talking about. Um, my thought is uh, find something you'd like to do, work hard, persevere. Awesome. Really appreciate the advice. And for any of those, I think we had like 70 or so pe- people register for this and a few others um, that want to have a one-on-one call with uh, members of your team from Legacy Brands. Um, so for anyone that's uh, here right now, you can still fill out a form to have a one-on-one call and explore a couple of the brands like uh, ledgers, ATAX, as well as uh, First Choice Business Brokers. So yeah, appreciate John and thanks everyone else for who joined today. Thank you, Patrick. Have a great day. Appreciate